The music industry offers so many different choices for careers, but people only ever think about the musicians and the performers. What about the roadies, stage management, and security? How about the people at the record label, the music journalists, the radio DJs? This week, I had the pleasure of interviewing music journalist Kylie Olson, who has interviewed Getty Lee of Rush, Jeff Beck, Aerosmith, Nuno Betancourt of Extreme, and countless others. We chatted about how she got started, her favorite interview she has done, how she prepares, and the importance of young adults finding their own musical identity. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> very, very just abrupt start. So yeah. um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, where you come from and what exactly you do, just so we can inform the listeners? Okay. Um, well, do you want me to tell you where I'm from geographically? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I live in London and um, I am, I guess what you call over here, I'm a TV host very and lovely. music journalist. Awesome. Okay. So yeah, I was looking up on your Instagram and just all your social media accounts. I was reading up that I believe in America you're on Access TV um, and sometimes with MTV Entertainment and also in England Sky TV. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Well nice. done. Thank you. You've I, passed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I try. Um, so, what exactly brings you to Boston? Um, why? Are you, why exactly are you here? So, I um, I have a series which I started during lockdown. It's called Life in Six Strings, mm-hmm. and I'm currently making or turning that into a TV series where I travel to famous guitarist cities that they're from and sort of explore where they're from both sonically and geographically. And so I came here to chat to Nuno Betancourt to hang out with him for a couple of days. And I've got to say, Boston is becoming one of my favorite places in America. Very happy to hear that. So what what exactly do you love about the city of Boston? Is it the vibe? Is it uh, where the music scene, what specifically may I ask yeah I I think it's definitely the vibe maybe it's the whole um British thing is <laughs> it's it's got a very European feel for an American city mm-hmm. um it's probably because of all the colonial exactly yeah. no it's just beautiful and I think you've got everything it's it feels there's a kind of New York vibe to it but it's a little bit less in your face um so that's kind of what i like i guess it's just it's just a really lovely town there's lots of history here there's great food Mm. and you know shopping and music it's just everything you want basically yeah i can agree to all of that and speaking of music the thing that's great is they just recently opened a new music venue attached to fenway park so there's technically three music venues on one street I saw that the other day. Is that the MGM one? Yeah. So it's MGM, uh, House of Blues, and then Fenway Park are all three fantastic venues that are now just on one street. And it's going to be a nightmare when games get out and there's also concerts at the same time. (laughs) So (laughs) Well, we do this this thing called a pub crawl. So I guess you Mm -hmm. could say that it could be a a nice gig crawl. Yeah. No, there would be. You can also do a pub crawl on that street on Lansdowne Street. There's a lot of nice bars there. Um, So are you here to see any concerts while you're in town at all? Or are you just interviewing and hanging out with no i saw well i saw extreme i went to hampton oh nice which was lovely uh, on the beach and then um i'm gonna go and see aerosmith on right thursday yes yeah thursday that's at fenway park that's at fenway park and i believe this might be like it for them is that is that true what's i don't know because they're getting up there in age i know that they're struggling right now with all the covid things and everything so 
I wish I was going. I'm not, but. Oh, you're not. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They, I mean, it's, I think they're doing a, a Vegas residency after this. They, they still are doing that? Yeah, okay. I think so. And I guess that's what, for a month or a couple of months or something. And then maybe that is it. Uh, I, they've not said it. Yeah, they've they, not done they, a Black Sabbath or, a, yeah. you know, a, who else is on their end of, end of, end of the road tour? Or, I'm not even, are you by any chance seeing the Red Hot Chili Peppers this weekend? Because they're playing Fenway Park on Saturday. No, I am going home on Friday. So oh, that's no. it. I'm going to miss them. <laughs> Damn. So close, yeah. So close. That's the one show I am actually going to. I'm Are lucky. you? It's the first time I'm actually seeing them because I've never seen them before. And I'm very excited that John Frusciante is back in the band. Yes, that's he great. Was, he is the reason why I got into them. Like I started listening to them uh, with the Blood Sugar Sex Magic and mm-hmm. then slowly dove way deeper. And I was like, wow. His guitar work has shifted and he's very, very talented. Um, speaking of shifting. So I want to talk to you about your work and your music journalism history. So how exactly did you get involved in music journalism? I started making teas. Literally, um, I worked out where I wanted to work, what area I wanted to work in. And then I just started making teas and getting to know people. And Teases in t-shirts? no. Teas is in a cup of tea. You were just making. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Literally, glad we, got we that. <laughs> yeah, we. <laughs> I thought, I thought t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, wow, you're a fashion designer yeah, as well. Right. <laughs> nope, yeah, I'm British, so of course I was making tea. Um, so yeah, so. In England, you can, I don't know if you do it here, you do work experience and you literally start at the bottom by making tea for everyone and getting their lunch and stuff like that. And so that's what I did. And then I just sort of worked my way up through the industry. Wow. So how old were you when this started? I was probably, it was after university. So I was probably, well, actually it was in theory, it was before university because I started at the BBC. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was probably about 18, 19. And were you studying music journalism in school? I studied film Film at university. Yeah. So what was that like uh, studying film, working at the BBC and then somehow shifting into more of the music aspect of it? It, well, it was all kind of music because it was radio that I started in and then I started in TV and then got a job at MTV. And it, yeah, it was always music for me. There was, I never really did anything else. Nice. Yeah, no, music, it's better in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so could you say how long it's been since you started? Like how long have you been doing this overall, would you say? Probably around... Well, I guess like 20 years or something, just wow, under 20, 20 years. Yeah. Nice. That's wonderful. 20 years. Well, that's very exciting to hear. And I'm very excited to hear more <laughs> from you. Um, was there anyone that you would say inspired you that you wanted to be like when it came to interviewing people? Did you always want to be an interviewer? No, I actually wanted to be a musician, first of all. And I started off by playing the saxophone. And then I never played it out of the bedroom. I was always too terrified to play in front of any, every, anyone. And I just thought, you know what? I'm not very good at this. So maybe I should talk about music instead. And that's kind of where I realized that actually, yeah, you can, you can become a, a host or you could write about music. And, and so that's kind of what I did really. And, and, and then there was a, a famous music journalist who used to write in all the like the rock magazines and and he coined the phrase um the most dangerous band in the world for guns and roses and thrash metal and stuff like that and i i loved his writing and i worked out where he was working and 
engineered it so that I met him basically Ah, and then he became one of my best friends and my mentor and we would write together we did we wrote a book about album artwork and he yeah he was a wonderful wonderful man and and a legend and and so I guess he was he was one of my first supporters in that sense it really kind of helped open some doors for me nice so he you really like found a mentor like you found your favorite person you were like I want to learn from this person yeah. you just went for it we're like please teach me <laughs> yeah basically I, I I have no shame I will just yeah reach out and be like hello I love you can you help <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome I love that so who was your first interview oh my goodness my first interview who was it do you know I don't know oh I'm I really it, can't remember there for you wow did I interview? Do you remember the first couple? No, (laughs) I can't. I I sort of remember that they were probably whilst I was at university, but for the life of me, I can't remember who they would have been. If, if you can't remember, they couldn't have been that significant. No, they probably weren't. Yeah. So when you first started, I'd say getting, making a name for yourself, when you started interviewing more famous people, do you, you remember who those first people were? I started so because I know you start. You did a lot of didn't you uh, report a lot at like Download Festival and I still do Download. I've been doing that forever, and that is yeah, that was probably and that was a funny one because it took me a while for people to take me seriously because they were like, "You're blonde, you don't have tattoos, you don't look like you like rock," mm-hmm. um, and so that was quite interesting for me to just I I had to work really really hard to be taken seriously, mm-hmm. and eventually I got there I think, mm-hmm. um, but. But I, yeah, download I've worked on for the last over 10 years now. I've been, I've been on camera for 10 years, but before that I was working as a producer on it mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. So, so you, you've been involved for a very long time. Yes. Nice. Very long time. Nice. So I want to dive into your personal music interests and mm-hmm. what you listened to when you were sort of getting and finding your own musical tastes. Um, what exactly were you listening to? Like what bands at the time when you were like a teenager and finding out what music you really liked? Well, my parents were really into music and they would have these amazing parties where they would invite all their friends over and they would just get records out and they loved Motown. Mm. So that was kind of my first sort of, I guess, experience of of sort of how music can really open up or just create this, this vibe and this kind of connection. And so they would listen to music and I really loved it. And obviously I was playing the saxophone and so there was a lot of Motown like with Sam Cooke and stuff like that. So I guess it started in Motown and my dad loves David Bowie and Fleetwood Mac. And, and so then that kind of went into that. I mean, when I was a kid, I was listening to a load of rubbish, just what was ever (laughs) pop at the the time. And then, and then obviously MTV happened. Mm -hmm. And I remember, which is quite funny that I'm here, but I remember seeing Steven Tyler Mm. and thinking, wow, is that a woman or a man? (laughs) He's, if it's what, I remember thinking, he's kind of hot. (laughs) He sounds amazing, but I'm not sure. And then that kind of really intrigued me and and I loved the music. Mm -hmm. And so then that was kind of my introduction to rock. And then obviously there was Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. And then it just all kicked off from there, really. And then I just, I just loved it. And I loved, you know, and then I went a bit further back and got into Pink Floyd and, mm-hmm. and the Doors and, 
Yeah. Just all the major classic rock bands of just like huge importance in the music scene. Yeah. It's funny that you say that about Steven Tyler because he thought the same thing about Motley Crue, which is fine. (laughs) (laughs) So it it kind of ended up, it flipped itself. Yeah, it's true. Would you say that uh, your taste in music has changed over time as you've gotten older? Do you listen to different things now? Are you kind of uh, branching out and discovering more things? God, I hope so. But I'm not sure if it has. Yeah. I, 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 like you say, I've always loved classic rock. Um, since I started, and I've always loved music with guitars. But maybe I, since I started playing, I have started to branch out a little bit more in into the kind of real guitar-y type mm-hmm. stuff, like listening to Steve Vai. I probably wouldn't listen to that before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like Steve Vai. I've always loved Jeff Beck. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, yeah, you've interviewed him, right? I have interviewed yeah. him. What, was, what yeah. was that like? If you don't mind me changing subject. No, right change subject. I always <laughs> want to talk about Jeff Beck. That's more interesting. Um, <laughs> Jeff Beck. Right. I was terrified mm-hmm. because I've heard he can be quite awkward to interview. And you know what? He was lovely. Really, really, really nice. nice. Um, just, yeah, just super cool. Just a very lovely guy to interview. Yeah. Yeah. So at, at least it's good to hear that you were just nervous and he just made it just like not. Did he ease your nerves? Was it? No, he's not that type of, he's not one of those. Yeah, <laughs> I had to work for it. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, he just, he, I, I just heard that he could be really grumpy and he wasn't grumpy with me. So I was just happy about that okay. because I, you know what they say, like yeah, don't yeah. interview your heroes. Yeah. It ruined it for you. And yeah, luckily he didn't disappoint. Nice. So, um, have you ever seen him in concert? Yeah. So how many times would you say? Cause I know you've probably been to dozens hundreds yeah but not i haven't seen him that many times i've probably seen him about four times and i saw him recently oh okay when johnny depp joined oh yeah yeah yeah. you so you were at the show in was that in london that was in london yeah yeah. that's nice so how was that seeing johnny depp on stage with uh um with jeff just the performance we don't have to talk about the other things but we can talk about just was it good i I was actually quite excited to see johnny depp i'd seen him before weirdly enough when he played with marilyn manson but we don't mention that (laughs) name either um and there was at the uh what was it the roxy in yeah that was on halloween at the roxy Mm -hmm. i think and that was that was quite cool as well but um I was quite excited to see him. There was a bit of a buzz in the air because everyone knew he was going to be there kind of thing. Yeah. And he was okay. He was all right, actually. Nice. First of all, it took me a while to take him seriously because he's an actor. Yeah. And there was an element of me going, is he playing Keith Richards? <laughs> is he playing like, this is how you be a rock star? And yeah. there was that kind the of- scarves, the, the scarves, the rings, And the, the kind of like- slightly pigeon toe walk with the guitar hanging low and Mm -hmm. like yeah man you know that kind of vibe Mm -hmm. but actually he's he i think he did really well yeah and he plays well he can sing okay Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's it's fun yeah no i can i can agree that i saw him on stage when he joined aerosmith back in 2015 right Um, he was filming black mass they brought him on for the last song they played train kept a rolling and that's it, my favorite one, by the way. That, that, that is my favorite song. Me as well. It's just, it's so good. I fell in love with that song when I was seven and they had it on rock band. They had that song on rock band and me and my friends, we would just sit around and I was like, I'm playing drums. And I, when the drum roll would come, I was like, 
I was nailing it. I was like, that's mine. That's <laughs> like, going to be my intro music, by the way. There you go. Train kept Train rolling. rolling. Uh, I prefer the Aerosmith one to um, Yardbirds. And I told yes. Joe that, Joe Perry. Yeah. I was interviewing them at Download Festival <laughs> and I could hear, they were. They, I, had, I used to have this big Rootmaster bus mm-hmm. um, and do the interviews on top of there. And um, I was interviewing Joe, Joe and, the, I, and the rest of the band. And then they kind of huddled together after the interview and they were talking about the set list. And mm-hmm. I had actually seen the set list but I didn't tell them yeah and I said I said oh what are you guys doing um on your set list are you doing a train kept rolling and I said Joe you know I think that version you do is so much better better than the Yardbirds version and he went really (laughs) and I was like yeah like that it's a million times better. Yeah. They opened the show with it. And I knew that it wasn't on the set. So they had added that in. But just for you. Just for me. I wouldn't say just for me. He probably didn't even know who I was really, but maybe because I had paid him this compliment about it being better than the Yardbirds. That was probably let's start with that song. Yeah. So speaking of more concerts, can you recall your first concert that you ever went to? Yeah, but it's not cool. Oh, who is it? I have to know now. It's New Kids on the Block. That's they're from Boston. I know. What is this? <laughs> I just realized that. That's from, what, what is what is it with that's me? That's very that's very cool. They're from here, and you're like, no, I'm it's like not cool. a Boston stalker. <laughs> <laughs> got the Wahlbergs. You got everything. <laughs> New yeah. Kids on the Block. I New mean, kid. they're they're huge here, so you should be proud of that. <laughs> you should be I very. Guess proud I of should that. be proud of that. Are they yeah. are they cool here? They're from Boston, yeah. When so, my grandmother told me a story where she worked near one of their houses because mm-hmm. uh, she lives in Dorchester, which is where they reside, or where they did reside. And these two girls were like standing outside, like looking for one of them. And they were like, "Oh, is is Donnie here?" And she was like, <laughs> "No, but I can take you to where he is." So my grandmother <laughs> drove these two young teenage girls to outside of Donnie's house. Oh my god! Yeah, I think it was kind of the end of their fame. Because I'm from a place called Norwich, and so yeah, they were probably just doing really small little venues. Yeah, and they've stuff. made they've made a comeback very recently. They sold yeah. out Fenway last year. Oh, you're joking? I'm, really? I, I'm not. That's thirty six thousand seats. Wow. Who were they on tour with? Was it Backstreet Boys? Oh, okay, so that's probably why though. But <laughs> <laughs> last year, no, it was just them. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, that was probably one of my first. See, mine was mine was Aerosmith actually. Oh, well, you're much cooler than me, clearly. Well, well, I was I was four, and my dad is a radio DJ, mm-hmm. so he was just like he he was involved. So yeah. it was just it was just like we're going. I was like, okay. Um, Do you remember it? Oh yeah. Well, sort of. So what happened was. I was with my mom and I have a twin sister and we were there very early in the yeah. day and we were walking around the Xfinity Center, Xfinity Center in Mansfield and this person was walking around with a mic stand and it had Steven scarves on it. Oh, and wow. Did you steal I, one? <laughs> because I was four, they were like, do you want a picture with it? And my mom was like, yes, he does. So I got a picture with me wrapped around Steven's scarves and then 20, 30 minutes later, I'm backstage and then I meet Steven Tyler wearing like a Batman tank top, four years old. <laughs> The concert starts. I have the, these giant headphones on because I'm very young. My parents yeah. want me going deaf. An hour into the show, I fall asleep. Oh, no. <laughs> I wake up at the end of the show. I'm in my dad's car in the backseat with my mom. I'm like, Where am I? Where what am, happened? Where am I? Where's Aerosmith? Where did the music go? <laughs> yeah, I fell asleep on her shoulder at four at an Aerosmith concert. Oh, so that was, that was my impressive. first concert. Okay, so. that's super. That's a, that's a cool story. I, I can't know. top that one. I mean, some people have probably, <laughs> no. I know people who have. Um, so when you're listening to music, 
what exactly are you trying to get out of it? What are you what are you looking for when you're sitting down listening to something? I'm looking for well it, I guess escapism and maybe it's, you know, it depends what mood you're in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you want it to make you feel better, sometimes you want it to give you motivation or you know, sometimes you want to be sad. Mm. You know, sometimes you know, I like listening to a sad song and and crying and feeling a bit miserable and I don't know why, but that makes you feel better in a weird sort of way. Yeah, I'm wearing a Nine Inch Nails shirt. Yeah, so I did like notice that. It's a very good example of just sad. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's to complement my mood, I guess, whatever that may be. Yeah, no, I, I can agree mm. to that because I, I know a lot of people who listen to like heavy metal when they're angry or if they're in like a sad mood, obviously sad stuff, or if they're just like, I just want to hang out just need background noise. They listen to something very calming, yeah. low key. Uh, my girlfriend listens to like lo-fi beats sometimes, okay. like all that stuff. Um, we were talking about earlier that you've broadcasted and reported from Download Festival numerous times. What was it like getting to report on all those different bands that you've seen over the years and interviewing and seeing all this live music? Because you've seen hundreds of bands, I imagine, at all these different festivals. Yes, but I hate to um, disappoint you don't you don't get to see much when you're working on that because no. you're backstage doing interviews the whole time. It's <sighs> it's not as great as people think. I know. Sorry, that's that makes me actually really true. sad. <laughs> I know, but I have had some great moments. Well, like, that's good to hear. Like that's <laughs> yeah. what I want to hear. But I real that just makes me sad that you can't see the bands. No, like, I miss like, so much. Oh, that's. Oh. I, d I definitely always get to see the headliners. Yeah, of course. Because then I'm kind of wrapped, and then I can you know I can watch some music, and then I try and catch a few throughout the day if there's a few that I definitely want to see. And I'm usually right next to the main stage, so I can only see that stage because mm -hmm. there's so many stages there yeah. but um there's always things going on though i remember like the backstage area is kind of quite late you know it's not much going on these days mm -hmm. but when i first started i guess around 2004 i think the first one was 2003 i worked on the 2004 one mm -hmm. going forward um and there was you know lars didn't turn up for a, a gig once and mm. They had to, they were rehearsing drummers backstage to join them on stage. There was like, are we allowed to say what, anything on this podcast? Yeah, you can, yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> there was strippers and stuff like that, <laughs> fights backstage. You know, there the was- Nonsense that you'd expect yes, at a concert. Yeah. Windows being smashed and port cabins and stuff like that. It's definitely not like that anymore. It's changed so much in the small amount of time that, that I've been there, you know, but it's definitely, definitely changed. Mm. So, so would you say, which do you prefer concerts with just like a couple bands where you obviously have like an opener or a headliner or festivals? Well, I guess a concert because then I get to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> so, Fest no, look, festivals are fantastic. And especially if, if you're going there as a punter, incredible because you get this whole experience and you mm. get a weekend away with your mates and stuff like that. But no, I love gigs because mm. you just get to see that one person and yeah. dive deep into their catalog and it's, yeah, that's. Yeah, that's cool. I can agree to that. I was at Boston Calling back in May and I saw Modest Mouse for the first time because I, I had never seen them before. And they're one of my favorite bands. They only played like 12, 15 songs. Mm. It was a quick set, but they're coming back in December and I'm like, oh, they're going to play 25, 30 songs. Like I know, like I know, yeah. it. I can feel it. It's like you can. So it's one of those things that with festivals, you know that certain bands, they're still going to give it their all, but they're going to kind of... They're just, just going like, to play the hits. Yeah, just the hits. The so Cheap Trick was there. They played, mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure, obviously just the hits, but Nine Inch Nails was there and they played two nights in a row because the Strokes got COVID and they played two completely different set lists. Oh, nice. Because they have 200 and 
yeah. plus songs. So if they played the same set list twice, one, I would have been sad because I'm a big fan, but two, like that's so much music. And that to is. not explore that, I, I honestly get confused while a lot of bands don't explore the idea of having a few different set lists in rotation. Cause I know that Pearl Jam is one of those bands that they try to make a new set list for each show. Same with nine inch nails. But nowadays you get a lot of bands who have like the structured, this is the show that we're doing. This is the lighting setup. I'm surprised they don't kind of make other versions of that. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think I, and I totally agree with you because I think the stones are a bit like that. Um, sometimes it's too slick mm-hmm. and I love the mistakes and I think that's what maybe they're scared of. They just want to keep it the same every night just and just tight. Um, you mentioned Pearl Jam. I know Eddie chooses the songs like 10 minutes before they're about to go on. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's, I saw them, I've seen them a few times. Um, they're one of my favorite bands. They're so, definitely in the top five. So and uh, I saw them at Hyde Park mm. in London um, a few weeks ago and it was just amazing. I love Pearl Jam. I miss them. They played Boston 30 30 plus times or something like that. And they're very loved here. And I, I was lucky enough to see them in 2010. And this is when they were still recording their shows because they would release bootlegs of their own concerts where you can actually buy the concert that you were at and listen to it. So my dad bought it. He's like, here you go. And I was like, I can hear myself screaming. (laughs) So it's like, it's great that you can actually hear that. I wish more bands recorded their concerts and released them. Metallica did the same thing with Boston calling this past year when they played and um, it's it, I really wish more live bands recorded their shows and released them if they know that there was a good performance. I think they would yeah. definitely like I miss the live albums. I buy live vinyl a lot. So and the I, live albums always too slick as well. They're always messed with a little bit. So yeah. I guess the bootlegs are a little bit more kind of raw. And, yeah. and I guess that's what Pearl Jam's thing is, isn't it? They're not too caught up in being perfect yeah i did cry when they did black Mm, definitely (laughs) i did have a little tear yeah that was quite a moment so can you tell me a favorite concert that you've seen overall like one that stands out to you that makes you just go this was the greatest concert i've ever been to in my entire life am i only allowed to choose one you can do three okay (laughs) so prophets of rage Oh, really? That blew my mind. It was in quite a small venue, uh, like 3,000. Mm-hmm. It wasn't huge. I don't think I've ever witnessed an audience that a band completely had them in the palm of their hands. They were like literally, get down, get up. And it was just like the whole room was just moving with this band. It was just something else. And um, Tom Murillo is one of my favorite guitarists. He's phenomenal. You know, he's, a, he's an incredible player, but I just love it. I love it when a musician has has a purpose and a, and a voice with their music and a reason for doing it. And I love that he's political with what he's putting out there. And yeah, it's just, I think that's fantastic. He is Harvard educated. He is, isn't he? Well, the, here we are. Yeah, I'm again, back at the Boston, Boston thing. <laughs> Boston. Runs back to everything. Yeah, Comes back Bean to Town, Bean as they Town. call it. I only found that out the other day. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's very weird. I, I it, The beans, I guess, are very good. I don't need a lot of beans. I, had, bean, I <laughs> had beans this morning for the first time here. They're not like baked beans in the UK. No, they are not. They're um, really sweet. So Prophets of Rage, that's one show. Is that's there another one? one? Um, The Stones. Of course, got to have them on there. Yeah, yeah, they've got to be on there. I, I've seen them numerous times. I saw them again in Hyde Park a few weeks ago, and I was fortunate enough to be right at the front. Love that. Standing next to Duff McKagan. Oh, and love Duff. Yeah, Duff's amazing. He's, in my opinion, 
very underrated and underappreciated bass player. 100%. He is so, he's so good. Like, he's sneaky good. Yeah, he <laughs> like, is. You're like, right. Like, you listen to his bass lines, you're like, oh, damn. Like, that's just, it's it's so good. But that, you're standing next to Duff McKagan at the Rolling Stones. I love that. That's a great, that's a great one. And that, was, that was good. I mean, they're a little bit like a traveling museum in the sense of they, you know, you know what you're going to get with them. You yeah. know that there's going to be one song throughout the whole set that Keith is going to mess up at the start. <laughs> He'll play the wrong. He, he does yeah. it every time, but I love it when he does it. But he's so cool. He's Keith Richards. He's so cool. But he doesn't come down the ego ramp anymore. No, he doesn't. He, he just, just stays back. Yeah. I, but again, I love that about him. I love that he's he's this shy guy. And you can see it on all of the, like the, the archive stuff that you watch of them and stuff. You can tell that he is really shy shy yeah no you can see it you can see it in the interviews too it's just yeah. like it's just kind of very reserved and um very quiet so is there lastly that was two. so that's um, two one more <laughs> last concert you can think of i a friend of mine is an amazing blues guitarist mm-hmm. um and i've seen him quite a lot uh, and I saw him, re- this is all recent gigs. Maybe, maybe I'm appreciating it a lot more now after everything we've been through with the pandemic and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and uh, I saw him at the Royal Albert Hall. And again, he's never put me, I've been at the side of stage and stuff like that, which is never that, you know, it's never yeah. that great to, yeah, to watch a band it, from there. Because sometimes the sound's a little weird and it's just like mm-hmm. it can be a little, it's different standing on the side of the yeah. stage watching a band for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and he put me this time right in the front and that was quite an experience just to see him play and it, yeah, it was just, it was something else. That's very cool. Especially at Royal Albert Hall. Well, Black House, it's one of my favorite venues. Yeah, it's a very, very, I've never been, um, I have been to London once but i wouldn't wasn't lucky enough to go there and from what i've seen of it it's just a beautiful beautiful venue and yeah. i really one day love to see a performance there um so shifting gears to music and musical instruments performance you talked earlier about how you played saxophone how mm-hmm. long did you play and when did you start because i know now are you learning guitar i am learning guitar i've uh yeah i've cheated on my saxophone i'm, I'm now <laughs> i'm now with the six strings so i probably started playing when i was about 12 so i was quite late to the game and i probably played for about five years mm-hmm. and i studied you know the theory of music and and did grades and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and then like i said i just realized i wasn't that great i do believe that i do believe that you have to be I think you're born musical. I do. I do believe that. And I'm not musical. I mean, I can agree because my father can't do anything. But like I, <laughs> I can, can. I can play, but he can't. He, he wishes he could, but it's yeah. all air instruments for him. So oh there's nothing wrong with it. There's actually an air, there's competitions for that, isn't yeah. there? Um, but I, so I think you can learn it, mm-hmm. but I think you can only get so far with learning it mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm like that so I did that with saxophone and I just never felt like I could it yeah. just wasn't it wasn't really for you like at the end of the day like no I loved it and I'd listen to you know Bobby Keys and stuff mm-hmm. like that from Stones and just be like so frustrated because I'd be like I want to do it like that I, get I that. never quite could do it yeah. and then um so I sort of that all fizzled out as I got a bit older and mm-hmm started work and stuff like that and then it it was you know the pandemic which really had nothing else to do yeah so what do you do you bake banana bread or you learn an instrument and i went for the instrument there you go Mm. yeah i I started a vinyl collection did you okay there we go i love it i have a very large vinyl collection now that is 
cost me a lot of money. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I want to talk about your new show, Life in Six Strings. So how long have you been working on it? Because I know that you've been doing interviews on your YouTube and kind of interviewing a ton of people and pushing that out there. So how long has it been in production, would you say? So that started probably around April. Okay. Uh, When did the pandemic start? 20, 20, I can't, I'm, April 2020? It 20, yeah, yeah, it was, wasn't it? March 2020. It was just, it was kind of just after that, really, that I started doing it. It's something that I wanted to do for a while. And then I always thought, well, you know, you need the high production. And then all of a sudden everyone was on Zoom and I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> I just learned how to edit. I, you know, did the interviews and edit, edited them a bit. And then that was it. I was off. And everyone was, it was so great because everyone was at home mm. and everyone was up for chatting. Yeah. So what what were some of the challenges of interviewing people over Zoom and all that stuff? Because I, was it easy getting in contact with these people and then just being like, hey, do you want to just chat for a little bit? And then. It was really like that. Wow. I, I started off with friends. Mm-hmm. So I would just call them up and just be like, do you, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing this show. I'm learning how to play guitar. Do you want to come on? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. And, um, and then, and then the kind of people, PRs that, that obviously I've known because I'm in the industry. So they started being, oh, you've got this new show. Can, do you want this person? And that's kind of snowballed from there really. Yeah. Um, and I guess I've spent, it's almost two years now. I've you know, spent the last two years embarrassing myself publicly. <laughs> I would not say that. I, I, I watched um, your interview with Jenny V of Eagles of Death Metal. Yes. I'm a huge Eagles of Death Metal fan. And I watched She's that interview. I loved great. it. She was very, very wonderful. And I loved, I just loved how uh, also she taught you how to play Cherry Cola. Too. Yeah. Because I, I, one of my favorite songs. But I know. Um, it's just, it's very cool to see how you just wanted it to be natural. You didn't want it to seem like it was just like a, some intense thing. You just wanted to have a nice little conversation with friends yeah. and just have a nice little chat. And you can see that. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it, you can see in a lot of the interviews that it comes very naturally to you. Um, I will say that because when I was watching your interview with Getty Lee of Rush oh, at, God, Road yeah. at studios, I was sorry. Uh, I was very, uh, impressed with it because it's a that's a long interview and it was very, and that was edited down by the way it, it was a long <laughs> video and it was very well it was so well done I was reading all the comments and people were praising it and uh, all your questions and just all everything the conversation what was happening so I have a couple questions in regards to how you prepare for interviews with those people because you've interviewed Getty Lee you've talked to Ozzy Osbourne you recently interviewed Nuno Betancourt of Extreme how do you prepare for these interviews with such big names I am a nerd and I love <laughs> nerding out. Okay. And that's basically what I do. I over prep everything and I just go down the rabbit hole and I don't come up for days. And literally I will watch everything. I will read stuff. I would just, I will just disappear into it and try and get into their head and understand who they are and write a thousand questions, which I never look at, but they just, <laughs> I like writing them all down. And just so you have it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, I really enjoy that part of it actually. Sometimes almost more than doing the interview. So when you're doing other things, like say like you're doing chores around the house or cleaning something, will you be like listening to yes. their music, yeah. trying to yes. soak it all in? Get 100%. As much, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I do. Or I'll be listening to interviews that they've done and yeah, I love that part. And you mentioned the Geddy Lee one. That was one of my favorite interviews. He was, was actually- a, he was a, there was quite a stressful interview because I'd, again, I'd heard that he can be quite hard, not because he's not very nice, but just because he's a bit awkward sometimes. And 
the camera we had a, a, a quite a big crew it was, on it that was like one. A, a moving camera yes right? yeah. so we had we had a which i don't always have but i had a director on it and, and camera guys and stuff and they were taking ages to set up and then getty arrived and they were still setting up and i had to chit chat with him for over half an hour and i thought i'm going to kill these guys because i'm going to start asking my questions in a minute and i'm going to get all the good bits yeah. before we start and then i'm not going to want to interview him you know it's just it's i just hate that i don't like talking to the the person that i'm going to interview before mm-hmm. we start rolling yeah so uh so yeah but it turned out really well and i had an amazing message from the PR after to say that Getty didn't stop talking about you in the car after he really loved the interview and so we've been we've met you know we message on Instagram and stuff some of the time now and he was like I love that interview that was so much fun I was like well you've got to do it again sometime when you're here (laughs) that's amazing did you happen to catch him at the Taylor Hawkins tribute I was here you, uh, I know I you're here, but I can't did you believe not, did I missed you, it did you not find it online anywhere no or? I haven't looked at it did you have you seen it uh, so I fell asleep and slept through the live performance watched uh. the Paramount Plus version but there's a version of it on archive.org that's all six hours of the performance oh wow and so I watched the whole thing and I just oh I was so emotional because I, I'm a big Foo Fighters fan I'm a drummer myself and I learned through their songs and like Taylor was a big influence. So like watching all these bands like get together, it was just, it was, you could see in all of them, it was just, they were also hurt and yeah. just sad, but they were like, we're here to bond over this one great person. I know it's quite and, extraordinary. Um, Chad Smith shared the story of how Taylor would go to guitar center and buy kids and just like who wanted drum equipment, just mm. he spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on equipment for all these kids just who wanted to be aspiring drummers. So he was just like, yeah, he never bought anything for himself. And just, I thought that story was so sweet and watching his son. Oh, that drums. made me cry. I did. Oh, I saw that on, was, on the, on the Instagram actually. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's just finished me off. I, I cried. Um, so and the song of the hero as well. Yeah. It was like, oh, oh he yeah. did a phenomenal job. And I, I thought to myself, I wonder if they're going to get him in the band. When he's, he's older, too young. he's 16 yeah. when he's older. So sure. who do we think they might? Rufus, Rufus Taylor. Roger. That is so funny. That's what I said. <laughs> Rufus Taylor. So my friend played that gig. My friend is um, Martin Chambers. Oh, he's yeah, the, the Pretenders. Drummer, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw him on, yeah. And he's really good friends with Roger Taylor. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd been talking about that. And actually way before this, Martin always used to say that Rufus was like Taylor Hawkins. He has the hawk has, tattoo, yes. blonde hair. Like the way he, he hits it, yeah. I, I I agree. When I was watching him, I was like, he did him right. Like he did. He's going to get the job. I think he will. I I think they should take some time. Obviously, they have the show coming up at the end of yeah. September. Um, but I think again, they should just let it. They sit. probably won't do anything until yeah. next year. Yeah, exactly. Um, so speaking of back to the interviews, um, would you say what your worst? Could you say what your worst interview was? You know, like. Could you say off the top, uh, top of your head, like who was just not a good interview? What was that band? Um, what were they called? See, they were so bad. I can't even remember them. I've etched <laughs> it out of my memory. Um, who was the, oh, Gaslight Anthem. Yeah, exactly. You're looking at me like, who are they? No, the name sounds so familiar. What? I don't know a song by them. Though. No, I don't know any <laughs> songs either. Um, so basically what happened to this band was, they were just like an up and coming band. Yeah. And then Bruce Springsteen joins them on stage uh, and they kind of blew up and there was a buzz around them. And I interviewed them at download just around the time when he first joined them on stage. Mm-hmm. And um, they were super lovely and chatty. And we were talking about Springsteen and everything else. And 
Then the following year, they played Download. And then I thought, oh, well, I'll just pick up where we left off. So I was like, oh, you know, last time you were here, we were talking about Springsteen and blah, blah, blah. And I just made some sort of joke about it and then thought, I'll move on. Oh, my God. Like, so angry. Really? Yeah, and just really the whole interview just went downhill from there on. (sighs) Clearly... After that, Springsteen, after Springsteen joining them, probably every interview that they'd yeah. done was questions about Bruce. And so I obviously was at the end of it. And um, yeah, they, they weren't too... Weren't too pleased. No. Oh, it was a horrible interview. Yeah, that's really hard to hear. And then he was taking the mickey out of my accent. Mm. And then after he continued it as well, when I saw him backstage, he's still going like, your leather jacket looks too new. And you're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Wow, yeah, that's so mean. It's really I, mean. I hate, I hate that for you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry yeah. that that happened. Um, but you've done a ton of interviews at Abbey Road Studios. Yes. Uh, I watched the interview that you did with Andrew Stockdale of Wolf Mother and a little bit of the Zach Brown band one. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like being in that studio in such like a legendary place where so many different bands have recorded so many different things? What was it like being there? Because I've only had the pleasure of being at the gates and just <laughs> wishing I could go inside. So. I knew you would want to ask this question because we were talking about the Beatles earlier yeah. off or when, before we were recording. Um, there is something in the air when you go into that studio. Mm-hmm. You can't help but feel it. It's There's a magic. You just feel this excitement um, and you just like even to the point of they have they have a, a cupboard or it's full of all these vintage mics and you think all the people that have used those mics and it's it's a magical place it really really is yeah because i when i was there i was walking down the the line where they have like the timeline of what albums were recorded when and i was like i didn't know that dark side of the moon was recorded here i was like studio three i was like oh my god this is a lot different now (laughs) so i was i was like blown away because there were certain albums that i had no idea that were recorded there and i was just being there at that time, I was just like, oh. it was yeah. it was like hollowed ground for me. Um, now, you recently, I don't actually, I don't know how long ago you did this interview, but you interviewed Joe Bonamassa down in Nashville. Mm. How was that? How was the studio down there? Because you were at a Nerdville East, right? Yeah, that's right. So what was it like being in that studio? Because I know- That's not studio. You know, that's his house. That's, wait, that's his house? That is his house, exactly. I thought it was a studio. And can I just tell you? All of his houses are like that. Really? Yes. <laughs> they look exactly like studios. That's they so are. crazy. He, um, so he has Nerdville East, Nerdville West, and Nerdville Gotham, Ooh. which is New York, of course. Yeah, of course. A Goth- a Gotham is the most low-key. It's not too full of the neon signs and mm-hmm. the guitars. There's a few of them there, but yeah. it's definitely... The, the, the most crazy one is Laurel Canyon. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's yeah. off the scale yeah i can imagine yeah um that is like literally floor to ceiling amps guitars everywhere it's mm-hmm. like these neon signs everywhere it's yeah. just it, uh, even outside the house when you come in there's neon signs that's it's so cool. but yeah the the one in nashville that was not a studio really that's I where that he was, lives uh, wow that changes everything yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> what were you gonna ask <laughs> no that actually doesn't change any of my questions but it just makes me rethink of <laughs> what the place was because yeah. i'm looking at it it was like wait that's just i thought it was a studio yeah. it's just like everything that everything about it just makes it feel and seem like a studio but that's his house that's crazy so while you were down there what was it like because i watched uh the interview and i saw that you were driving around in his 56 chevy you must have gotten yes. great food so what was it like being down in in nashville how long were you there i was there for probably about four Four days. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I love Nashville. It's probably my third time there. Um, it's just a great place. Like, you know, the food, the music, you can't escape the music. It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it was great driving around with Joe and him showing me some of his favorite places. And I discovered Cronuts. <laughs> Yeah. Do they is Cronut only a Nashvilleian I, thing? I, they exist, but like we're fit, we have Dunkin' Donuts, so we we eat those. Is Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> from Boston? Yeah, that's why it's everywhere. Okay, yeah, it's, I was like, these guys that, love Dunkin' Donuts here, but that's like why every two miles there is. Yeah, yeah it's it, they changed the name to Dunkin', and people were like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you?" <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there a lot of it's very weird, but yes, they are they are based out of Boston. Um, so the food down there obviously must have been amazing, but the food was amazing. Yeah, the first dunks is from Quincy. I've been there. I used to play hockey near there, and I'd go there with my dad, and then we'd eat dunks. It was it's fast food. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it used to be. But, yeah. Um. So obviously, you were in Nashville for a few days. Did you catch any concerts while you were there? Did you see any venues or walk around just the city streets? Just kind of explore it. Yeah, what did we do? No, we didn't go to any um, venue. I didn't go to any venues. Well, and I went to some museums. Like yeah. They've got the Country Music Museum and stuff. So I did those kind of things. Um, when we were, he took me to um, a vintage guitar shop, obviously. Yes, that was very cool. And that was very cool. Um, I couldn't afford any of them. <laughs> of course, yeah. So <laughs> There's nothing I could afford in there. Yeah. Um, Just dream about yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I didn't see any shows there. I have, I, I worked with Def Leppard and uh, I, they, I worked with them at, what, what's the big stadium there? I, I don't know the stadium in Nashville, actually. I can, I could not tell you. It will come back to me in a minute. No. But, so I went to that. that the stadium was, uh, in Nashville. The, yeah, exactly. The stadium in Nashville. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was fun. Um, but that was a few years ago now. But yeah, no, I haven't seen too much music there. Apart from on the streets and yeah, in the bars, yeah. the honky tonks and stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, I imagine the bar music and the city street stuff is like yeah. very, very good and fun. Um, Nissan Stadium, I believe. No, that not that one. Hail Maybe stadium. it's an arena then. What's a... Is it a baseball field? No, it's... <laughs> Football stadium? Inside. It's a dome? Bridgetown. Bridgetown. Is it Bridgetown? Is it Bridgestone? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Bridgestone. Bridgestone. There Bridgestone we go. tires. That's yeah. who it is. I am not a sponsor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> sorry. Um, are there any American, like other American cities that you wish to see for the music scene? Have you been to LA a lot of Las Vegas, any of those places? I've done LA a million times. Mm. Um, Seattle is on Seattle. my list. I go. love grunge. Yeah. I love, you know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. Yeah. Soundgarden. Of course. Alice in Chains. Yeah, they're all the best. I was lucky enough to see Soundgarden right before uh, Chris Cornell passed. Oh, wow. um, I saw them. They were t- co-headlining with Nine Inch Nails. And it was Soundgarden and then Nine Inch Nails went on afterwards. And I was... It was oh. one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my entire life because it was two of the greatest bands of all time playing yeah. together. That's insane. It was so much fun. And then years later, I was lucky enough to see uh, Alice in Chains and Korn playing together because they were also... they Bands love to co-headline here in America. Yeah, they do. It's a new thing for in the UK as well. And yeah. I, I kind of get it. And they can flip-flop who goes on first. And, yeah, yeah. They did that with us. Like They both had... When it was Korn and Alice in Chains, they both had 15 songs. And I think... The night before, Corn went on first, then Alice in Chains when they played for 
Massachusetts, Alice in Chains went on first, then Corn went on, so they kept flipping, and I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah. It's cool because they they they're feeding off each other. They both they know both the fans, like the fans love both bands, like they're all there to get that uh, excitement and yeah. love for the music. So speaking of other bands, are there any that you have not interviewed or any musicians that you haven't interviewed that you would love to interview get yes. a chance to? I would love to interview Eddie Vedder. <laughs> Eddie Vedder. So if you're yeah. listening, Eddie, I'm coming for you. Eddie. <laughs> yes. Get your guitar out. We're going to jam. I, I love Eddie Vedder. I, I think he's so... He now, he's like, because he's the last remaining grunge lead yeah. singer. Because Dave Grohl, he's like after the fact. But yeah, and he was the drummer. He was the drummer, but like the big four of grunge. Like he's the last yeah. one. And it's just, it's it's so sad because I know I've heard the story of he performed after Kurt Cobain passed on SNL or they were in Boston and he was angry because he, it was just so sudden and he bashed a hole through the stage with his mic stand because it was just, it was right after it happened and they just had to. But that's what he's like. He's so intense with his music, yeah. the way he sings and delivers. It's just, oh, it just really hits you. There's some of this, I think it was, it was Nuno that actually that was saying to me that, you know, as a music, it depends whether you're a musician or an artist. If you're mm -hmm. an artist, you take the audience on the journey with you as opposed to just entertaining them. Mm -hmm. And that for me is Eddie Vedder in a nutshell. That's a very, that's very, very good and yeah. insightful. I like that a lot. So is there a uh, person that you would have wished to have interviewed that's no longer with us? Jimi Hendrix. Mm, great one. Great choice. Because not, there's not many interviews with him, I don't think. There's not, no. Yeah. It's funny, a, a good friend of mine, he's a photographer, and he shot all of those legendary pictures of Hendrix. Mm. And one of the first questions I asked him when I met him was like, what did Hendrix smell like? <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think the answer was? Um, cigarettes. Cigarettes, drugs, I don't know. Cigarettes and patchouli. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. That's so funny. That's, I know. That's a he really was like, good... no one's ever asked me that before. And I was like, yeah. It's because it's a, <laughs> it's a good question. So what does Hendrix smell like? I, I have know. a, I was, so they've been re-releasing a lot of his live performances out on vinyl. And so like for the first time out on mass from the master tapes and everything, I've been buying them whenever I see them. Cause I'm like, oh, that's a live performance. Like I have Monterey. Have you got the band of gypsies stuff? I, I, Oh, do I have Band of Gypsies? Oh, if you haven't, get it. Machine Gun, one of the most oh, amazing songs ever. I have the, ever. the live performance at the Fillmore East in that's, 1969. That's the only recording of it. The, the 12-minute long version? Yeah. Oh, it's the, I, I think that's the only recording because- that, I've heard other my, I've you? heard other ones though. Like I, have, I think I have a 15-minute long version on my computer right in front of me. I'm not sure though. It just goes on and on and on. It's like- Because it just keeps- The first time I heard it, I was- I didn't know what to say because I was no. like, oh, my God, like this yeah. is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Can you imagine how great that would if he hadn't have died, like where they would have gone with that band? Yeah. Oh, my God. Like it's it's insane and so sad to think about because that's another reason why I'm a big uh, Chili Peppers fan, because John Frusciante, he was one known as the guy who could play all the. Hendrix stuff. Yeah. They were like, he's like the carbon copy of Finger. <laughs> like he he's the guy. Like that's the guy who can yeah. do it. Um, so what advice would you give to um young journalists out there who are trying to get started making a name for themselves, trying to interview people? What what, what would you say to them? Learn to be very thick skinned. Ah. Um you get lots of no's and you just have to ignore it and not let it affect you mm. and just keep knocking down that door. And sometimes if you can't go in the front way, go in the back. Mm. 
-hmm. just work out like, okay, well, they're not going to give me a job, but which is what I did with my friend, Malcolm, um, Mm -hmm. my, my first mentor, he, you know, I wanted to work for classic rock magazine. They wouldn't give me a job. And so I knew that he worked there. He was working at another radio station. Mm -hmm. And so I went in that way and met him there. And then he got me into the magazine. Wow. Okay. You just, you just have to figure, it's you figure out a way in. Yeah. You have to find your way. Yeah. To, you can't just take the, just don't take the first no and give up. Yeah. Don't. So main story, main point of the story, don't give up. Try, keep trying, get the thick skin. Keep kicking. Keep yeah. Doing. Nice. So do you think it's important for young people who are interested in music to go out of their way to try and find their own musical identity and own musical taste? Yeah, 100%. I mean, but that that's what every musician is striving. Even some of the best out there, mm-hmm. they don't all have their own soup. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have their their sound. You That's what I think, you know, if you listen to Eddie Van Halen mm-hmm. or you listen to Hendrix, you know it's them instantly. And there's very few musicians that can do that, but they're be all striving. And, they're all striving for it. Yeah. Be identified by yeah. just their sound alone. Yeah. yeah. I can, yeah, I can totally understand and agree to that because it's, it's very rare when you hear like that one note where you're like, Oh, that's this person. Or, yeah. Oh, that's that guy. That's the golden ticket. If yeah. you got, if you can do that, you, you do you know, you're, you're there. Yeah. So for certain musicians, it's like, you can hear two different baselines. One of them being from flea of chili peppers, mm-hmm. the other one being from Les Claypool of Primus. And you can hear the two, both yeah. of them very prominent and skilled bass players, but you can hear the two distinct sounds and yeah. they identify because they both slap bass they both play with their fingers they're both very fast and talented but yeah completely different sounds charlie watts john bonham yeah you know yes same yeah i agree oh, that's so sad who who's on who's drumming for the stones now is it i can't remember who it was actually I don't, I don't know who they brought on, i should but. know this and I, I i've been told and i can't remember but i think i think he's played with them i think was he was oh he was um i think he was keith's live drummer yes yeah. i think that's who it yeah, yeah you're right Cause he, I, my dad was, cause he's a big stone fan. He, he and I were talking about it. I think it's Keith's live drummer. You're now. right. It yeah, is. Yeah. I don't know his name, but no. he's been, he's known the songs. He knows the mm-hmm. band. So it's good that they picked somebody that were like, all right, we know he'll do good. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they can trust him. Um, so do you think it's important for young teens and kids to have access to a musical outlet, whether it be performing music, listening to music, anything really just some type of, uh, involvement with it? Steve Jordan. Steve Jordan. There we go. Thank you. Steve Jordan. (laughs) Through the power of the internet, we found out instantly. (laughs) Um, In answer to your question, 100%. Mm -hmm. I strongly believe that music saves you. Like it's, it's, it's just one of the most amazing things that you can have in your life. And I just think learning an instrument, whether, you know, you don't have to want to be a famous musician or have a career in music. I'm never going to do that. I just really, really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And it's such a a feeling of self-achievement when you master something on an instrument. Mm-hmm. It's really, I think it's good for confidence. Mm-hmm. It's therapy. It's, you know. It's like I, when you finally nail that song. Yeah. When you finally get that riff down, you're like, I did it. I did it. It's like a feeling of accomplishment. I'm sure. It's like, I, I learned what I was trying to do. Um, yeah. So that that's. It's therapy. It, it, Music it, it, is can, therapy. Yeah, I, I can, I 100% agree with that. And do you think that it's one of the only, like one of the few things that people of all ages can bond over? Cause mm. I know with movies, everybody has their own little neat, like niche and like, Oh, I like this. Oh, I like this. But music's one of the things where everybody can find that one song and be like, Oh yeah, that song is really good. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that 
music can be like that because you have different genres and people will be like, oh, I don't like rock music. But you're, you're right. You probably will find someone within that rock genre that you're like or pop or country. Well, or- I mean, of like more of like the song. So thinking globally, you, there's very few songs where around the world people know all the words to them. Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, yeah. would be kind of like one. Like, do you think music is one of those things where doesn't matter the band, doesn't matter the song. If there's just that one song, really, that kind of everybody can enjoy. It's very, it's very rare, I feel It can like. unite you yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's very uniting, I believe. Yeah. I, I feel it in different ways than a lot of other media that we consume. Yeah, you're, you're right, actually. Like you say with film, because if you're, you speak French or you speak English, you, you're not going to... It's yeah. yeah, the language may not transfer, but with music, everybody knows what a guitar sounds like. Mm. Everybody knows what a bass sounds like. It can, You can feel the the sound you can yeah. feel the music and everything so it's good to hear that you also agree that it's one of those things um so speaking on more music and benefits of it do you think that schools around the world would benefit from investing more in music programs and trying to provide their students with musical instruments or just other ways of learning music in the class 100% i mean when i was at school we didn't really we had music lessons you know like a music teacher and yeah, they would did give you us learn music. saxophone in school or was that outside? no that was outside they yeah. wouldn't give it they wouldn't give me lessons at school my my music teacher was terrible he he was like well you won't keep it up so you're not going to do it oh. and so he wouldn't give it to me and I'm just like do you know what that's a ridiculous thing to say to someone how do yeah. you know that like especially if they're young like a child <laughs> they're, yeah, they're very like, young come like a on. teenager like yeah um but no I think that Music is a great way for maybe if you're a kid and you're struggling at home or you're, you know, you just, you, you haven't got the focus or discipline to, to do well at school or anything in, in, in life. I think music can be that discipline that you might need to kind of get you on the right road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I completely agree with that. It's one of those things that everybody can kind of just find the one it doesn't matter the instrument because there's all there's an instrument from everybody exactly so it's just the one thing even if you don't play like with um a lot of people who work in the music industry not everybody can play an instrument but they still love music and they still want to be involved yeah you can be you can just do it and for yourself yeah you can do anything it doesn't matter what it is um so what is next for you what do you have planned you're working on life in six strings is that's what is that is what's going on right now for that you? is that is my kind of main focus at the moment um and i'm gonna be starting another show which i can't really talk about right now that old chestnut secret I love yeah it. <laughs> <laughs> but that will be another music show um and it will be live um Ooh. and it will be streamed so you'll be able to watch it across the globe um uh, and that's kind of it. Yeah. My, my, I get for me, the main focus at the moment is really the life in six strings mm-hmm. stuff. I'm, I'm really enjoying it and I want to try and get out there and interview some of my heroes and get, yeah. get basically a free guitar lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That all <laughs> from the best. Yeah. That all sounds lovely. So any social media accounts you want to plug or anything like that? You, Cause you yeah. have a YouTube channel. I have my YouTube channel, which is just my name. So it would be Kylie Olson. Kylie Olson. Yeah. And my Instagram is exactly the same as well. Kylie Olson. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kylie, for being here. I'm very excited to see more of Life in Six Strings. I can't wait to talk to you again. Oh, <laughs> it's been fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here.